Welcome to The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. And greetings from Denver, Colorado. Ladies and gents, welcome to The Struggle is Real, a podcast by Family Bridges to help encourage millennial parents and their parenting journey. The podcast is part of the special series, Relationship Talk. My name is Omar Ramos, and looking right in front of me is... Veronica Avila, how are you, Omar? I'm doing just fine. We are super excited because we get to do The Struggle is Real all the way from the 2017 NARMI Summit in Denver, Colorado. How cool is that? Now, NARMI is the acronym for the National Association for Relationship and Marriage Education. And with us, of course, is also our resident expert, Dr. Alicia Laos. Welcome, doctor. Thank you for having us and doing this. And as we record today's podcast, many relationship and marriage experts are teaching and sharing a new skills that we can apply in our lives and of course to help couples around the nation. And during the special relationship talk series, we'll have the privilege to talk to some of the top relationship expert coaches in the country. Oh yeah. Especially the one that we have today here with us. Let's kick it off with the topic, how to guard a child's heart. And to join the conversation, we invited Ana Morante. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also a bilingual and bicultural exponent of a program called Family Wellness. Thanks for joining us. Ana, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit more about the work that you do. I work with families at different capacities. One is as a therapy level, mainly with immigrants from Mexico, mothers and fathers. And I also do family education through the family wellness program. Mm. So in this program, we teach families tools and skills for healthy living. We like to have families well prepared. So when they get into problems, they don't get stuck. That's very important. In what area are you working? Demographic. San Jose, California. Awesome. Uh, San Jose, California, my beloved uh, native state. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I'm from the Fresno area. So. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, Central California, San Joaquin Valley. Yes. So, so we're going to go ahead and uh, start with defining what guarding your child's heart means. So I'm going to pitch this question to you, Dr. Alicia Laos. If you could expand a little bit on this. What do we mean by guarding a child's exactly. heart? There's a lot of poisonous toxins, if you will, that are trying to steal, if you will, our children's hearts. And whether it's just different messaging that's out there that is teaching values that are just really toxic for our kids' well-being, a messaging that often is a lie. Just think about social media, for example, and things like the bullying that's happening and the self-image that some of the our girls or boys are assuming and really just trying to take a hold of our children's heart and, and sabotage their sense of identity and who they are by superimposing other ideas that might be more valuable for the culture, but are not necessarily healthy for our girls. So I think there's a lot out there vying for the attention of our kids, sending messages that are not healthy. I often think of our girls, and we've talked about it before, how a lot of the messaging is really bringing some negative repercussions for our girls. Magazines out there teaching that the body image needs to be the perfect silhouette of a Barbie, for example. And that's really not the case of most women in the United States, but that's what's poor trade. And of course, that brings about a sense of shame. So there's just a lot of toxins that are unfortunately are infiltrating the value system that our kids have. As parents, we need to be aware of all of those messaging that is really a part of our kids with kids listening to four to five hours of media a day, whether it's computers or TV, all these messages are bombarding them and and our kids are developing a sense of identity. And so I think some of that is being sabotaged and we need to be aware of that and really protect our children's hearts. Talking about these toxins you just mentioned, do you remember a time when your parents tried to protect you from those situations? 
I think I grew up in a pretty sheltered environment because my parents were pastors. And so we just kind of did the church life for a long time. But even that, even though we were very sheltered and lived in a little bit of a bubble, we still had to go to school and we still, you know, were exposed to different areas. I think what protected us was having a soundboard where we were able to have, I grew up in a big family with lots of sisters, so I was able to talk to them or just having a nurturing environment that you were able to go, okay, these ideas are not really the right ideas. But yeah, at school, everything from, you know, you're an adolescent, what do you feel? Oh, your body, you're, you're not as skinny as you need to be, even though you weigh like 90 pounds or something at that time. I mean, just all these things that are just a part of adolescence, they're out there and kids are going to be exposed to it. And if there's no, no one for them to talk to, unfortunately, those ideas can get very centered and later it creates a shame script that a lot of women especially then define themselves by even though they're not real. Now that you mentioned that, I think that still happens today. I have a 13-year-old daughter, and my daughter did tell me one day, she and her friend went into their English class. The teacher, out of everybody, the teacher, when they walked in, greeted them with, oh, here comes ugly one and ugly two. (sighs) Oh, wow. You should have seen me. I was on fire. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's 13, but we've talked about this. And my, my daughter was like, I, I told her straight out, you know, that's really rude. Did you just call us ugly one and ugly two? So the teacher caught on and she's like, oh, no, no, you know, I was kidding. I'm just kidding. Mm. Kids can't take Being a joke. Being playful. Yeah. Can you believe that? Wow. So yes, just knowing that our kids are exposed to these influencers that are supposed to be positive influencers. And that it, that's not always the case. Yeah. I want to learn how to navigate that. Seems like you navigated it pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't we go into our first skit? Our first skit is uh, called The Importance of Consistency. Let's listen to that. I know you're on your way home. Hi, Mom. Well, no. We're having a really fun time over here. And the other girls are staying tonight. Is that okay with you? Sure. Really? Yeah. I don't care if they say the night. You still have to come home. Ah, uh, come on, please. Please what? You have a curfew, which you agreed to keep when you borrowed my car. But it's Saturday night. I don't have anything tomorrow before church. I do not care for your tone. I'm sorry. It's just... Okay, don't tell anyone this, but... Tia just told everyone she has an eating disorder. And because Daryl just broke up with her, it's kind of important for her friends to be there for her. You know? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. You see what I mean? Completely. When you get home, you can write her the nicest letter to let her know she's not alone. Mom! Girl, I'm not gonna tell you again. Say goodbye, get your butt in that car, get yourself home by midnight on the dot, or you're never taking my car out again. How about one o'clock? Don't make me come over there and get you. Without your car? You can pay for my cab if you insist. I'm hanging up. If you're not home in... 17 minutes. I'm coming over. Mom. Bye, Khadija. Man, did you hear that crazy woman? Sorry, guys. I gotta go. No, no, no. Take my beer. Tell Dara I said goodnight. Bye. Okay, so we're back. And uh, Dr. Morante, I'm going to go ahead and pick on you first. Uh, We heard a phone conversation between Amani and her 17-year-old daughter, Khadija, who was trying to convince her to let her stay a little bit longer, 1 o'clock in the morning. Amani seemed like she kept her cool, but was very firm about her curfew. What did mom do here, and what's the lesson we can take away from this scenario? I think mom was able to hear Amani. However, she had a rule that was very clear, and she held on to that. And we know that kids are going to always try to test 
right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to try to give us ideas and, and why we should we stay. However, it's important for you as a parent to listen to that. You need to know, however, that you are the boss. You have the final say. And even at 17, kids need us to be there for them and to be able to hold that line clearly because they still need the structure. They still not need to navigate through life and they still need to know that we are there for them to keep them safe. I love the fact that the mom was able to talk to her. And at that point, I think the girl was thinking that she was going to get her way. Mm -hmm. But eh, eh, that seems to be a mom with clear boundaries. And what I like about it is in order for us to be a good parent, we don't need to be scream. We don't need to be mean. We don't need to yell or anything like that. Just having the clarity that this is a curfew, no matter what, I will need you here or else there's going to be a consequence. And this is really what our kids really thrive and they find security in that. Mm -hmm. Very yeah. interesting. Now that you said no yelling, and I, I kind of just thought, I was like, oh my goodness. Do you feel guilty about something? I do feel guilty. <laughs> um, and I think it's because of the way that we were brought up. My mom would be like, you know, you better get here on time, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I tend to do that sometimes. And now that you were saying you have to be calm, I mean, I'm self-awareness, right? <laughs> I have to stop doing that. But sometimes you feel, as a parent, I feel like she's not going to listen if I'm that calm or, I don't know, I'm Put wrong, together. I'm no, sure. you're absolutely right. One thing that I tell my parents all the time is you need to have compassion for yourself. Because no matter what, when we are raised in a certain way, we may say, oh, I'll never do that, right? Oh, my mom treated me this way. Oh, my dad treated me this way. I'm never going to do that. But if you're not intentional about it, that's exactly the first thing you're going to do. Exactly. So first thing we need to do is we need to be compassionate and know that we are acting out of our programming. We've been programmed to parent in a certain way. Yes. Right? First of all, be aware of that. Be mindful of where you are. And once you catch yourself doing those things, then you have the opportunity to try a new way. And we know that when we have clear rules and consequences at home, then that takes care of it. And if, especially if you're consistent. Because mm -hmm. your kids are going to know that you mean business, right? If you change your consequence here and there just because it's convenient or you're tired or whatever, or the kid is whining too much, then the kid is going to know, hey, I can get away with it if I push a little bit or whatever. But having rules, rewards, and consequences at work are wonderful tools that parents need to be aware of. And they can start intentionally using them so that they can relate to their kids in a way also that's respectful for the kid. Of course. Because when we're yelling, screaming, and hitting, what we are provoking is actually the kid to go into fear mode. When we are in fear mode, our brains are really not learning. And what we want is we want our kids to learn. We actually want for them to develop discipline inside of themselves so that they don't have to have always somebody outside telling them what to do. So as they grow older, especially 17 years old, yeah. we want this girl to start thinking for herself and taking careful action for herself. The way to do it is to be able to convey that in a calm, but firm, I say firm and assertive manner. And so the girl knows this is business. I better do that. How important is it for both parents to be on the same page? Because that, I know that, yeah. <laughs> She's shaking her head. Oh my gosh. In family wellness, we have a whole section of that. Mm -hmm. Parents, we need to stick together. It is so important because kids know very well where's the weaker point. And they know divide and conquer, right? So you have to have one of my parents on my side, then I'm going to win, right? And finally, what we tell parents is it's not that the two of you have to be against the kid. It's the two of you for your kid, yeah. the two of you as a team. And when the kid knows that you guys are a team, even when you come up with a solution that they don't like, deep inside they feel better. 
and they feel safe. And safety is one of the number one things of healthy attachment. So very important for us when we stick together as parents, when we back each other up with our authority, then kids are going to feel safe and secure and they know that they can trust us. I can't stress that enough. I know that's hard for a parent or an individual because you just, you might have a very strong different opinion about something. I mean, with parents, we just, we're different personalities. So we have, I think of my own simple thing, like in my own household, I'm kind of the, you know, the one that gives them the candy and the sweets and my husband's pretty strict because he has them all day and he knows what that does to them, right? <laughs> you know, jumping <laughs> up the wall. But I'm like, oh, just a little ice cream. Well, the kids know that. What will they do? He was very firm. They'll come to me, Mom, can I have some ice cream? You know, with the you cute little face, you know, and just puppy eyes. Oh, what's wrong with little ice cream? You know, and I have to be like, what did your dad say? <laughs> what, what did, you know, what, and of course, my husband is going to be like, no, not right now. He, they already had X, Y, and Z candy or whatever because yeah. he's monitoring that. And even though I may be pulled and want to say, what's the big deal? It's just a little ice cream. They're so skinny. They need a little bit more fat in them. You know, whatever justification <laughs> I have in my brain, I need to back him up. And that's a simple thing right now because they're little. I just think they're get habituated later on. The ask might be greater and they will, you know, you get habituated as a parent too. And then if you start pulling against each other, the kids will use that and they'll manipulate you and then later it just creates more chaos for them and for you as a couple as well more friction one of the things that you said alicia is so important and reflects how aware you are it's like you know that you are the weaker one and that your husband is more disciplinarian right yeah. so what i love what you say is you you ask your kids so what did your dad tell you because mm -hmm. you know that exactly. how many times a lot of parents if we don't have enough awareness then my kid asked me okay go ahead and do it and that's where the other parent may not even know that Exactly. Right? Yeah. In my family, it's actually the other way around. I'm a little bit more disciplinarian, and my husband is like, oh, let them do whatever. But we've talked enough. Yeah. And that's the key, because it is true. Different parents are going to have different personalities. So the important thing is we need to talk ahead of time, away from our kids. Uh -huh. Kind of like, a, what's our game plan? Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. Who's going to take the leadership here? Right? And how are we going to back each other up? So, when we do that ahead of time, so many times my husband, if my daughters ask something, is like, oops, let's see what mom says. And he just doesn't intervene enough when it's discipline. Mm -hmm. When it's nurturing, he's all there. Of course. <laughs> yeah. He's a nurturing one. Mm -hmm. I'm too. The important thing is that we really need to be on the same page because kids need a strong team so that they can follow that. And uh, that works really well for, for example, my husband and I were together, we're parenting together, and I see him in the different points and we can connect. What happens when you have families with step family or single parent and the dad's in a different situation? How do, what do you, what advice do you provide for parents in navigating that still being in the same page in spite of that separation happening? By all means, there's a lot of us families right now that are really separated. And what we like to say is no matter what type of family you are, single family, step family, there's always hope and your family can still be strong. Claro. So yes. first thing is when you are separated, I think it's hugely important for parents to work on our own feelings. Let's call resentments or whatever it is that we have against our partner. Exactly. Because if we don't work on those things, they can be transferred. And kids they soak those things. You don't have to even say anything negative about the other parent. But the kids really know that when the other parent comes, you cringe. And that's not a good message, right? So we really need to work on ourselves. More intentionally, I tell my parents, you have to love your kids more than what you hate your ex. 
So you need to know that for your kids, the other parent will always be the other parent. Exactly. As much as you can do to foster connection with the other parent, that's very, very important. Now, let's say if parents are separated and living in different households, that's so much harder to be on the same page, especially because most of them are going to have different parenting styles. So one of the things that we recommend is if parents are at a level that they can sit down and just talk to each other as co-parents, I always like to tell them like a business person, when you go and talk to your doctor or you go and talk to your attorney, you don't need to get personal, right? You just go right down to business. Exactly. So if you can sit down and do that, that would be the best gift you can give to your parents. Now, not every parent can do that, right? So when we still have a lot of feelings and we cannot really meet with each other, I think in that case, you have to be the boss of your own family and you have to let the other parent be the boss of their own family. And you just have to let your kid know, well, while you're in my home, these are the rules, these are my expectations, this is what I want you to leave. Then your father or your mother, that's another story and there's not a whole lot you can do. Now, in step-family situation, it gets a little bit more complicated because now we have a parent with a child that have more history than the new parent. Exactly. So there's going to be all kinds of conflict and rivalry and kids getting jealous and not wanting to even acknowledge this other adult presence even. So we need to be very patient. We need to go very slowly. And initially, the discipline needs to be done by the biological parent. And the role of the step-parent is basically just to support the biological parent. Many times we see sometimes that step-parents come and they come heavy-handed. Yesterday in our training, we had a mother that told us when she got together with her husband, his daughter was only four years old and husband was working long hours. So by default, she was left with a kid most of the time and she was a stepmom. So she had a really, really hard time even with a four-year-old. So sometimes it is even difficult, but to the extent possible, if you are the step-parent and you come back off at the beginning, let the biological parent take on the discipline, you support them, and your job actually is to connect with this kid. Yes. To build a relationship, to get to know them, to really form some type of uh, bond with this kid. Once you have a bond in place, then slowly you can start becoming a little bit more into the leadership role and set some rules. And eventually with time, ideally, this family can move on so that even parent and step-parent can be equal in terms of disciplining and backing each other up. But we say that initially it's much easier if the biological parent is the one that takes the lead. You know, it's very interesting that you say that. I actually uh, know a couple that well, she's obviously the biological mom, and he came into the picture, they're married, but he's very disciplinarian. He was in the army, so he's very disciplinarian. Mm. But then now they're having trouble. This boy really loves this guy, his stepdad. But now they have issues between the couple, and it's so so sad to me to see that this guy kind of takes it on the boy, so he just like kind of disconnected, like all of a sudden from this little boy and he's hurt obviously and it just breaks my heart to see that what can you say to parents that are going through something like that it's very difficult because when you get emotional let's say and if this father is having an issue with his now new wife then of course he's going to emotionally withdraw from that family so that's very natural so again for me when you're a parent you have to be very very intentional and when you're a step parent you have to be very very aware that you're not only getting together with your partner but if there are kids involved you have a commitment to these kids as well exactly. and you really have to be careful of the bond that you form with them because that attachment is going to be there for good or for bad and your presence is going to impact this kid's life forever 
by all means, I mean, if this stepdad can be aware that whatever issue he has with his wife has to be left at the level of the adults, but the kid needs to be a separate thing. And he needs to still keep the connection regardless of what's going on at the level of the couple. Great advice. Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much, Dr. Morante. Now, uh, tracing back a little bit, you had mentioned something about boundaries. How early do you start setting boundaries for your kids? As early as they need. (laughs) (laughs) Let me share a little story here. When my youngest daughter was a year old, or maybe two, she was already walking. She started grading a crayon and drawing in my wide world with crayons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very little. (laughs) I think a lot of parents can relate. Hardly (laughs) talking, right? And I'm like, okay, thank you, family wellness. I was very grateful that I had family wellness before I had my kids. So took a deep breath because, of course, nobody likes to see their walls all painted in crayons. Of course. And so I said, okay, baby, so you like to paint. That's wonderful. I'll tell you what, here are some papers and this is where you color with crayons. Walls need to be clean. So now I'm going to help you to clean those walls. So I grab a little sponge and clean uh, water with soap and I made her kind of like attempt to clean those things. Of course, she didn't do it well, right? Mm -hmm. But it was the idea. So she was barely two years old, let's say, and I'm already setting some limits, some guidelines, because that's what kids need. They're new to the world, and when they start going around, I mean, even when they're crawling, there are certain boundaries that we want to put them, right? And in fact, what we know is when kids have boundaries, they feel safe. There was a research done in England where they had a preschool, and this preschool had a gate. It was a gated preschool, and they thought, oh, maybe these kids feel kind of like confined by this gate. So what they did is they let's make an experiment and let's take this gate out. And they take the gate out. And what they saw is that the kids, rather than playing all around, they were just going kind of like in one corner. And then they say, whoa, that's strange. Let's put the gate back. And they put the gate back. And then the kids went back and whoa, played all over the playground. And what they realized is that gate was the boundary that let those kids say it's safe to go all over the place. When there were no boundaries, the kids were not feeling that safe. So for us parents, sometimes especially, because we like our kids to like us, right? Absolutely. And when we, ha- when we set a boundary, kids are not going to like it. And they're going to complain. And we want to please them. And we, have, mm-hmm. we, want, we don't want to see them cry, right? So then we back off. But when we realize that the boundaries that we put are going to help them feel safe, then that's a different story. And then we're going to be more able to set those boundaries as early as necessary, as early as they start spreading their influence in the world. And going back to the beginning when we talked about how that helps to guard their hearts, boundary setting is about that. We as parents are the ones that are providing those boundaries for them until they're able to internalize that and know how to set those boundaries up for themselves. So if as parents we're not doing the job of helping them don't paint over the walls and it's the little things, ultimately we're, we're teaching them. There's boundaries and boundaries are important in relationships in life and there's things that what is a boundary? You allow things not to come in and you allow things not to come out and that's actually a good thing and we need to teach that and that that is important in guarding our hearts we don't want everything to come in mm-hmm. and we don't want everything to come out that's a tangible way as parents we're teaching them and la- later on they're able to internalize that and, and keep it going thank you great tip now our next kid we're going to talk about empathy that's Ooh. also key right woot, woot. That's exactly where I was going. I was just raising my hand to say that. <laughs> well, let's listen to this and we'll talk about empathy. Okay. Ben? Ben! Oh! There you are. 
How many times have I told you? You have to tell me when you're leaving the house, sweetheart. What have you got there? Nothing. What is that? What's in your hands? Bring it over here. Okay. Here. <laughs> is that... Is that a turtle? Yes. Is it... dead? Yes. Did you do that? Ben, did you do that? Ben, you're not in trouble. Just answer me. Did you kill that animal? Mm-hmm. Why? Did, did it hurt you? No. Was it an accident? No. You meant to kill it? Yes. Why? To see what would happen. Okay, just put it down, honey. Drop it. Have you done this before? Ben, look at me. Have you hurt anything before? Worms. Worms? I pulled them apart. Don't you know that's wrong? You said I wasn't in trouble. You're not, but... Ben, you shouldn't be hurting things. Why not? Because you shouldn't. It's scary. I, I shouldn't have to explain this to you. Ben, come inside. Let's wash your hands. Ben, this way. Ben, don't run away. Ben! Ben! You're not in trouble, honey. Just come back inside. Ben! Okay, that was a bit disturbing. We saw this little boy. He's a nine-year-old, uh, nine-year-old Ben and his mom. Obviously, he did something wrong here with the poor animal. But her reaction, maybe it was the shock. I don't know. I'm not sure what happened there. But it seemed like he was receiving mixed messaging. Was he in trouble? Was he not in trouble? What happened there? Well, first of all, I have to say I'm a big defender of parents. <laughs> yes. I'm a parent myself, and I know how hard it is. And we have to recognize also that we are humans. And if I see my boy and he is hurting animals, of course I'm going to be scared. Mm -hmm. Probably that initial reaction from the mom was out of her own fears. Right, what do I do here? So she doesn't know how to react. Now, what we do know is that no matter where we are, that's going to have an impact in our kids. Yes. And in this case, it, felt, it looked like the kid didn't feel safe enough to continue the conversation. And that's what he walked away. So to me, ideally, this should not be the end of the conversation. It was just the beginning. So when we are intentional parents, let's say in this case, the mom, what she can do is really calm down and really put herself in his shoes because that's what empathy is all about. Our ability to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Before we even want to punish or even lead on something, we need to understand. One of the authors, his name is Daniel Babel, I think. He wrote uh, Brain-Based Parenting. He gave us a beautiful formula. He said the formula to really help our kids is PACE, P-A-C-E. P stands for playfulness. Mm -hmm. A stands for acceptance. C stands for curiosity. And E stands for empathy. Mm. So in this case, if we get this, the, forget about the P, right? That's for another moment, <laughs> the playfulness, <laughs> yeah. right? First of all, if mom can calm down and go to acceptance first, okay, my son is doing this and this is happening. So I need to accept that this is the situation. The next thing is always a very important part, which curiosity. What's going on in my kid's life that is making him hurt animals? And if I don't know it, I need to really talk with him and make it safe for him to tell me what led him to do that. And I'll give you a very good example. My husband is a wonderful person. He's very nurturing. Right now, he could not kill not even one fly. But he told me that when he was a little boy, he loved to experiment with little animals. 
and he would put them in uh, refrigerators and hibernate them and all kinds of things. And he was not having a mean spirit. He was just very curious. What would happen with the animal if I do this? What would happen with the animal if I do that, right? So this could be one case, right? We know that when children are disturbed or people in general are disturbed, we hurt others. Mm -hmm. And this could very well be the case. But that's a symptom. That's a sign. So when mom sits down, when she's calm, not giving mixed messages, but when she's more calm and she can fully convey this energy to him, I really want to know what's going on with you. What led you to hurt this animal? But in a way that the kid can feel safe, then she will be able to discover what's going on with this kid. And it could be something even deeper and harder for this kid. And that's where the empathy part comes. So if mom, when she hears this son telling her what's going on, she can fully put herself in his shoes rather than judging from her own perspective. Oh, shouldn't be doing that. And that's bad. Or that's scary for me. A lot of parents are like, oh, is that scary for me? And it's going to look good for me as a mom, right? Mm. It's not about how we look as parents. It's about what my kid is going through. So if I can help put myself in, in my kid's shoes and really understand, Daniel Siegel has a really nice term. It's called feeling felt. When you can help your child or the person that you're relating to, to feel felt in other ways that whatever they're feeling, it resonates with you. They understand that you're getting their feelings. That's the most healing thing in relationships. And what a better point to start that with our own kids. If we can have empathy for wherever our kids are, especially when they're having a hard time, especially when they're misbehaving, I think those are really wonderful opportunities for us to see where's my kid hurting? What is my kid trying to learn? What's the next skill that my kid needs to pick up? So rather than being enraged by misbehavior, parents, we need to be very aware that when your child is doing something that he or she is not supposed to do, okay, calm down, because that's your sign. First of all, try to understand where they're coming from and what's the next thing that they're learning. For example, in this kid, it could be, well, animals also feel and they don't like to be heard. So that's a wonderful opportunity for her to teach him about empathy for animals and later on for other people. That's a good point in terms of fear and trauma. So a lot of times we are speaking out of our own fear. And so originally perhaps there's an image or an experience that dead animals had to do with XY criminal behavior and whatever experience you had or whatever uncle you had that did that. And you might be speaking out of your own experience. And so the fear kicks up a notch higher instead of the curiosity that maybe it's just a kid that, you know, wants to be a doctor one day or a scientist. And it's just very curious, like you said, but the fear just triggers. And then you speak out of that. How would you speak to that and navigate that as a parent? If you're recognizing the role of trauma and how that inhibits empathy, from occurring, especially when you have precipitating factors like situations like this? By all means. We know that our past experiences really program ourselves. And if, let's say, if I come from a past where I've seen a lot of conflict or I've been hurt a lot, then that's where my brain is going to go right away. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for all the brain research that we have right now that helps us really understand how our brain works. If I were to be able to draw here, it's a little bit hard to explain it in words, but I'll do my best. Let's say, think about that our brain has two parts. It's based on science, but we're putting into everyday language. So think about the bottom of your brain like the basement of a house. And that basement of the house is in charge of our survival mode. That basement is really, really important because that keeps us alive, 
right? So it's going to keep us alive in general, and especially when there are dangerous situations. Now think about the top part of your brain, like the first floor. And in the first floor, we have some rooms. One of them, I like to call it a kitchen, mm -hmm. which is the room that is in charge of connections, empathy, feeling with other people, recognizing other people's feelings, right? And the other part of the brain, I like to call it the living room, which is the rational thinking. So if you think about it, the top of our brain, the, the first floor, has our connection, our rational thinking. Now, when there's a danger, and it can be a memory from the past. When we have suffered a difficult experience, there are memories that are going to be triggered mm -hmm. by certain circumstances. So let's say if it's a memory from the past that this woman had, let's say. I like to call it, my basement gets flooded. And it literally gets flooded, and it's the brainstem, and it's the limbic system. And those parts get flooded with a couple of hormones called cortisol and adrenaline. Those hormones are really, really helpful to help us stay alive because they help us to either fight, flight, freeze, or the last thing that they found is faint. But for the most part, we either fight or flight. So we either react in anger or we run away from the situation. Right, we fly. And maybe that's why we saw the mom in that kind of like dual response, right? She was like, no, no, you're not in trouble. No, but you are. What, what happened here, right? So when we are flooded, that's what I call it. When my basement is flooded, I have no capacity to go to my first floor where my empathy resides, where my rational thinking resides. So again, as parent, that's just normal. That's human. It's something that we don't control. However, the big thing is if we choose to react from the basement, or if we choose to just recognize, and that's what they call mindfulness. And mindfulness is one of the main tools that right now we are recommending in general, but I would say for parents. Parents, we need to be really, really mindful because as human beings, we're going to be triggered. We're going to go to our, I actually tell my clients, most of us live in our basement most of the time, right? <laughs> most of us are in the, in the red right. all the time, right? But when you are recognizing it, then you have the capacity to use something to be able, I like to call it, to drain your basement. Mm -hmm. So when your basement is drained, then you can go up to the first floor and then you can connect with the other person. You can use your rational thinking. You can be empathic with the other person. So one of the suggestions, let's say, for this mom would be after this conversation is over and obviously she could have done it better, right? Mm -hmm. Then she can be mindful of that and she can take a deep breath, do whatever it takes for her to really get out of fear mode. Some people may need to breathe. Some people may need to talk to someone, run, write, whatever it is that works for you. There's a very important word that I, I like to give to the parents. It's called repair work. As parents, we're going to mess it up. Mm -hmm. Let's face it. Yeah. We are not going to be in our best behavior all the time, right? No, it's possible. <laughs> not at all, right? So we're going to mess it up. And you know what? We're humans. That's where, again, we have to be compassionate with ourselves. So the key is... After, let's say if I messed up, I obviously was in my basement, I was flooded. So now I need to do whatever I can to calm myself down. For some people, praying works. Whatever it helps you to calm down and to regain access to your empathy and to your rational thinking. And then from that position, that's only then when you can really approach your child again. With that whole energy of acceptance, of empathy, I'm really curious. I want to know what's going on. What happened right here? I know you're a good child. I know this. So tell me what goes on. What, what took you to do this? So I think those are important tools, the mindfulness, having things that are going to help us to calm ourselves down. And only when we are, I like to call it when I'm in the red or when I'm in the green. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about the traffic, 
the traffic sign is very helpful. Exactly. Right? It helps us to be safe. And the green line means, yes, go ahead. You can go. That's when I have my entire brain connected. I can go to my basement. I can go upstairs. Everything is working. So I'm really using my entire brain. But if I'm in my basement, I call it red light. That means stop. Because if you say or do something when you're in the red, you're going to regret it. Mm-hmm. You are going to regret it. So the red light, it's only saying you need to stop right now and take care of yourself. Get out of that fear mode. First, compassion for yourself and then empathy. And only then you can relate to your kid. And one of the tools that I really am giving now to the parents that I work with is the ability to be emotionally present. I think emotional presence is one of the biggest tools, biggest gifts we can give to any human being. I run into parents that are struggling, that they don't have enough to go around. So they are very worried about giving food and shelter Mm -hmm. and take their kids to school and buy them good things, right? But in that effort, sometimes we forget that one of the primary needs that the kids have is your presence, your emotional presence. To be there not just as a body. Oh, yeah, you're here. I'm cooking. I'm doing something else. It's fine. That's not being emotionally present. Emotional presence is to be fully engaged. That's what I think is going to help us, especially with now the digital area where kids and everybody is actually on their cell phones (laughs) and their main attachment is to this device. I know. Mm -hmm. It's... The more we can have parents really be emotionally present, connecting one-on-one, looking at their eyes, giving them this physical connection that I think a lot of kids right now are really growing up and almost being averse to physical touch because all they're doing is connecting through their cell phones. So parents, we have a big job. We have to really to connect, to be emotionally present, to let our kids know that the most healing thing for any human being is that one-on-one connection, one-on-one attachment, one-on-one touch. Most definitely. And take the phone away, of course, right? Yeah. When (laughs) necessary. (laughs) When necessarily. Awesome. Dr. Ana Morante from Family Awareness. Uh, That was some great information. Thank you so much for for sharing that with us. So we're going to go ahead and move forward and jump over to the next skit that we have for all of us today and everybody that's listening. This is called Guarding a Child's Heart, and it sounds a little bit like this. All right, now... I think we can finish this report today. We just have to make a decision. Who do you like, Wilson or FDR? Neither. We should do Lincoln. I I know so much about him already. He's the easiest. He's too easy. I guarantee another group has already picked him. I say we go with Wilson. That covers World War I. Or do you like FDR? You know something weird? In all these pictures, FDR is never doing any actual work. He's always just, like, sitting and waving. Have you noticed that? Um, well, he... You know uh... what? I don't really care. Do whatever. Okay, Woodrow Wilson it is. Can you get movies on your desktop? Not now. We have to work. It is work. I can stream that movie where Lincoln's a vampire slayer. Have you seen it? Good I was with, you know, like, historical type time stuff. We're not doing Lincoln. And besides, that's all made up anyways. Just let me pull up in the background. It helps me think. Fine, whatever. So if we have to show how the country was changed by Wilson's presidency, the best place to start, I think, would be... What?! Parental controls? That's lame. What's the password? I don't know. It's parental controls. Yeah, but like, how do you watch R-rated movies and stuff? I don't. Uh, okay. But so how do I stream an R-rated movie on your computer? You can't. Besides, like I keep saying, we have to work. Oh man. You gotta be like, so sheltered. Do you just do stuff with your parents? I do my own stuff. Nothing good, I bet. I'm doing this report on my own. 
Wait, have you ever watched porn? No. Oh my god, you have got to check out this site. Mm, I'm good. You can pull up whatever you want. Don't worry, I'll clear your search history. I still think I'm good, actually. What? Denied? What? There, you see, you can't even pull it up. Just forget about it. This is ridiculous. Yep. Your parents are like Nazis. I mean, not really. However, according to my notes, the Nazi party came out of Germany following the Treaty of Versailles, which was organized in part by, who do you think? Your boyfriend, Woody Wilson. That's right. Dude has two first names. How messed up is that? Why don't you start looking up his early life? Uh, I can go over the effects of his presidency. Whatever. Okay, so we're back, and we just overheard Michael and TJ, two 14-year-old boys working on a school project. TJ decided to pull up some R-rated movies or porn, so to speak, on Michael's computer, but got blocked by security settings. Michael was uninterested and stayed focused on the project. Now, we really don't know if that was influenced by the fact that he's never seen a porn movie, but the question to you is, what can parents do to build up a character so that they make a wise decision and they won't get distracted when it comes to something as tempting to some people, for example, pornography? Oh, absolutely. I think those parents really had it right. <laughs> we definitely need to be able to as much as we can. Because I know that now teenagers, they know how to go around everything, right? Mm -hmm. But as much as possible, we really need to make sure that we have what we think is appropriate and goes according to our values accessible to them. And whatever is going to go against our values, we need to talk about that, but we don't need to expose our kids, especially at a young age. Mm -hmm. These kids' parents were doing a good job. And hopefully, I, I want to think that this child responds that, hey, I'm not interested in that. I'm mm -hmm. good with that. He didn't even say, oh, I'm curious. Yeah, show me that, right? He was like, no, it's okay. I'm still focused. So that could be the result of parents being on top, mm -hmm. parents being available, parents being very interested in how to guide this child and also protecting him from things that are at this age are definitely things that he cannot even grasp with his own mind. So I, I think that's a very important point. Comes you back mentioned to boundaries. something that's key, oh, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. That parents were involved, they're on top of it. But what happens to the kids that don't have that privilege of having their parents be on top of it, whether it's because they don't know how to talk about it or because they just haven't really thought about talking about something like pornography or something, you know, what, what do you say to those parents that haven't even thought about it? I think as parents, we need to talk with our kids about all these topics because clearly, if your child is well protected, he or she is going to go to a world where other kids are not. Exactly. And they're going to be exposed. Mm -hmm. And next time when he goes to the other kid's house and there's no parental controls, he may be exposed whether he likes it or not. So parents, we need to be aware of that and we need to start conversations with our kids. Usually we say two years before you think general population engages in that behavior. So if you think that the general kid, like 12-year-old, are already into pornography, well, start talking about that maybe two years before. That's what we call it kind of like vaccination for the kids. Mm. When you put a vaccine is you put a little bit of the virus mm -hmm. so that the body involves the immune system. So when you talk, when you have conversations with your kids about these difficult topics, then the kid is going to be prepared. 
and obviously it has to be age appropriate. So you have to first know what the kid knows and then <laughs> see how you're going to deliver the rest of the information. But it's very, very important that the kids know that you are a safe person to talk about these difficult subjects because they are going to be hearing things all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, even in elementary school, kids are talking about these things, drugs, alcohol, even sex. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We really need to have those conversations with our children to say, well, this is what happens. And we think that this is not our value and we want the best for you. When you engage in some of these things prematurely, it's like eating a fruit that is not ripe. It can be the most wonderful fruit. But if you eat it when it's not ripe, you're going to ruin the experience for yourself. Exactly. Right? So be patient. There's time for everything. And not just say it, make them think, but also be active as much as you can. Again, I say, because I know that right now it's almost impossible to guard our kids from all the influences that that social media has. Most definitely. What are some of the things that you think keep parents from being able to have these conversations? Because we've done the family wellness workshops with family bridges programs, and we've had parents that their kids are 13, 14, 15. And when we talk to the parents, they haven't had these conversations. Some of them are apprehensive about it, assuming that this conversation should be held when they're 30. You know, (laughs) so what are some of the reasons that you've picked up on that just really prevent parents from having these difficult conversations that in the end guard their children's heart because there are boundaries that are important. But, you know, being able to just set the boundary without having some conversations, especially when they're older, also creates some tension and friction between parents and children as well. One of the things that I have observed in my classes is whenever whenever I ask my parents, how many of you had parents who talked to you about these things? Mm -hmm. Drugs, sex, alcohol, gangs, all kinds of stuff almost very few hands go up. So majority of us had parents that did not talk to us directly about these things. That's one of the things that I think make it very difficult. I think another part of it is the thought that, well, maybe if I start talking to my kids about drugs, alcohol, or these things, I'm going to make them curious and then they're going to want to do it, right? So what we know is it's the other way around, really, is when you talk to them about what happens out there, but then you share with them your values, and then you have rules that support your values, but especially your own behavior. You have to be the model, because if I tell my kid, don't smoke, and I'm smoking, guess what? Kids going to do what I do, not what I say. So first, I have to be a good model for that. Then I have to be aware that kids need to hear my voice. Because if they don't hear my voice, they don't hear the parents' voice and the parents' values. They're going to hear all kinds of things outside. And they're looking for those boundaries. They're looking for guidance. And if we parents don't really stir the ship, these kids are going to be drifting all over. And they're going to find a lot of people that are going to want to guide them their way. And it's most likely not going to be our way. That's completely true. Well, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. It's a great topic. How to guard your child's heart. Would you like to add any closing comments? For me, I would like to say, parents, thank you so much for what you're doing for your kids. I really know that being a parent is the toughest job you can do in your life. Uh, I just want to invite you to become an intentional parent. First of all, be very, very compassionate with yourselves, because I know that guilt is, especially among moms, one of the number one things, and it's not very productive. So be very compassionate with yourself. Also, try to learn what are the tools that we need in order to be a little bit better of a parent. How can I really learn about handling my own emotions? Because my own emotions is what my kid is absolutely absorbing. Not so much my words, but my own emotions. So to the extent that I can work on my own emotions and feel more in peace and be more calm, be able to be 
more in peace with myself, our kids are also going to reflect that and learn how to do that. So we are shaping our kids' brain. That's the, the big message that I want to tell them. We are literally shaping our kids' brain. We know that the brain is sculptured through experiences. And especially during the first few years of our kids' life, we are the primary influence. We have a beautiful gift in our hand. We have lives to shape. So let's be very intentional about how we're shaping them. Thank you. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Of course, we want to know how could we contact you later via social media and email or anything you'd like to share with us. I have my website. Cool. Anamorante.com. Also, you can find me in the familywellness.com. My phone always rings and I'm totally open to answer it. It's 408-250-2261. <laughs> and I am a real champion for parents. I think we really need to strengthen you. And again, thank you so much for the job that you're doing day in and day out. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. And Anna. that ends our discussion today. Dr. Laos, would you like to add anything? I think Anna just did a wonderful job speaking about the job of us as parents and yeah. just circling back up and how important it is. Most definitely. Um, if we look at parenting as an opportunity for us to guard children's hearts and how important it is to have boundaries and um, being able to have boundaries that protect our kids from things coming in too early and also just be mindful of our own reactions because that's going to shape you know, they're going to see how we respond and how we manage our yeah. own emotions. And they're going to pick that up. Yeah. Just listening to both of you, I just feel like, like you both took this weight off of me, lifted this weight off of me because I'm, I'm a father of 14, I mean, 14 years old. I have an 11 year old daughter because they're always 14 years in old. Three, so kind of, in right? three years, she'll be 14. Right? So, yeah, I have a daughter who's 11 years old, and uh, I just I overthink it sometimes. But thank you for breaking it down, Dr. Alicia, Dr. Morante. Thank you so much for having us. This has been The Struggle is Real Relationship Talk directly from NARMI Summit 2017. Till next time. This was The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. For more ideas on parenting, get your copy of The Struggle is Real by Drs. Paul Meyer and Alicia Laos on FamilyBridgesUSA.com. 